Okay, good morning guys, hear me? Okay, so we're starting a new series, sort of like a short series over the summer, it can take us through the month of August, although today is July, um, and it's a series on kings, it's not the book of kings, but we look at at least a couple of kings in Israel's history, a couple of reasons we're doing that, really just so we can sort of just sort of really look at their characters, look at their person, personalities, how God really blessed these sort of just normal men, but also just to see actually how just like us, um, they've got mistakes and made mistakes. Um, and also just because over the summer, obviously, many people go away, so it's just a good, good opportunity. So if you do miss a week, you know, you can just come in and dip in and out of the series. But I do encourage you to be here every Sunday if you can. Um, so, yeah, we're doing this week, I'm doing um, David. And next week, I'm going to be doing a second part on David. Then Steve's uh, doing Solomon. This week, we're going to look at really just the early life of David, um, him as a shepherd boy and some of, um, some of the years just after that. And then next week, we will... Um, sort of look down in one of sort of David's key events. Um, so I'm going to be sort of going around um, the Bible today, just a number of verses, a number of passages we're going to be looking at. But we're going to sort of just start, I mean, Acts chapter 13, verse 16, 23. This really just is going to give us uh, sort of just a context of Israel, um, which I think will just be helpful. And then I will come back to this verse a little bit later on. So it's Acts 13, it should come up behind, um, from verse 16 through to 22. I can find it. Okay, so this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, talking to the church at Antioch. Verse 16 says, so, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people, people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as inheritance. All this took, place, all this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he to whom he testified and said, I have found in David a son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. So this really just sort of give us just a bit of a context of Israel. Um, you know, just like other nations, they, they really wanted a king. They didn't have a king. Their king was God, and God wanted to lead his people. But they became quite rebellious. They became quite stiff-necked, and they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted... A king. So God gave them a human king and he gave them Saul first. And like we just read, after he removed them, um, he raised up David. So we're just going to look at, I suppose, the main passage which we'll be looking at um, is 1 Samuel 16, from uh, verses 1 to 3. And we will come back to Acts just a little bit later. So I didn't just read that for the sake of reading it. So um, 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him 
trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord looks, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send him and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Okay, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that as we come and gather with you, that you come and you come and meet with us. Lord, we thank you that you sent your spirit into our hearts that we can cry, Abba, Father. And we can cry that out this morning. Father, and as we come uh, to you this morning, we know that we don't come by our own merit, but we come in his name by his blood. And as we come in confidence because of that, oh God, we come to your throne of grace knowing that we do find mercy and grace for us. And Father, I pray this morning as we, as we look at this great man of God that you would really speak to us. Father, help me not to add or take away from your word, but to proclaim the truth that is revealed to us in Scripture. Lord, we pray that you'd be with us. We ask, Holy Spirit, just come, even now, just rest upon us as we look at your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Put your hand up if you like X Factor. Who's, a, who's an X Factor fan? What, four people? <laughs> okay, well, for those of you who don't watch X Factor, does everyone know what X Factor is? Yeah. Okay, we do. Okay, so X Factor is, prob- is probably the only program um, that my, well, definitely that I watch. It's probably the only program that I watch when it's on, and Britain's got talent, those type of programs. I know it's a little bit sad, um, but that's just me. Um, and I don't know if you know, but when you, when you watch X Factor, and maybe a contestant comes on, and maybe they're probably, uh, they probably don't look much like a pop star. They probably just look a little bit odd. They've got hair messed up. They're sort of unshaven. They've got funny glass, or maybe they speak a little bit funny. And as they come on, you can see the judge, you can see Simon sort of looking across, and you can clearly see they're completely judging them and making a, a judgment or call completely based on what they look like. Yeah? Um, but you know what? I do the same. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would suggest, I think that we probably often do the same. Now, we may not, maybe not articulate what we think. We may not say anything. But in our hearts, we often do the same, don't we? And then they... Um, and then they step up to the mic and then they, and they sing this phenomenal song with this you know, voice like an angel. And you look at Simon, you look at the judges and, and they sort of just think, oh, wow, I did not expect that. 
And they feel a little bit embarrassed. And I think when that happens to me, I'll probably feel a little bit convicted. I don't know about you. Or maybe, like I say, you're not an X Factor fan. Maybe you're at work and a new person comes in and you, and you look at them. And again, they just look a bit quirky. They just look a bit different from you. They're probably, they wouldn't hang out in the in-gang, the, in the, in the cool group. Maybe look a bit funny, dressing a little bit funny, speaking a bit funny. And you, make a, you, you judge them based upon their appearance. Yeah? You might not be at work. You might be just out upon the street. And then, and then maybe you get to know them a few weeks later. Um, and you think, actually, actually, they're not too bad, actually. They're a bit different, but actually they're not too bad. And maybe you start to hang out with them. Maybe you start to become friends with them. You actually think, actually, well, they're actually quite a nice person. But again, you've judged them completely based upon what they look like. Or maybe you're like me, and a couple of Saturdays ago, you're in the, you're in the chicken shop, and you're ordering some chicken and chips, and a guy walks in, about that high, dirty gray hair, nothing, nothing wrong with gray hair, but sort of dirty, sort of dusty gray hair, unshaven, smelt a little bit funny, staggering a little bit all over the place, and I completely just looked at him, um, and I judged him. And then I'd take my chicken and chips, um, walk out to my car, get in my Renault again. And then I hear this, blip, 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 and I turn around. And there's that guy who I've just judged, who's in the chicken shop, getting into this brand spanking new BMW. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and this is just as I've come from prepping as well, and I'm thinking, wow, that is so true. Not only do I judge people on Britain's Got Talent, but I also judge people in the chicken shop as well. <laughs> And I'm sure on some level many of us can relate to that. But actually, if you, if you look at the passage we've just read, this is what was going on with Samuel. This great man of God, this great prophet, this great um, anointed man of God who God has almost used as his mouthpiece to Israel, he's done exactly the same. He's fell into the trap of looking at someone and making a judgment call upon them and judging them based completely upon their appearance. In verse 6, he saw Eliab come before him and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointing. Well, why did he say that? He said that because he was quite a big guy. He would have been the firstborn. And he's completely judged him based upon what he looks like. But like many of us know, God has a completely different vantage point. The way he looks at things is completely different than the way we do. God looks at the heart. And if we look at David when he anointed David, if he, can, if he just looked at David's appearance and maybe what he did as a shepherd boy. You know, God was looking for a warrior, a king, a great leader who could lead his people. And if God had just looked at his appearance, I don't think he would have chose David because he was small, he was handsome and ruddy, but he wasn't this great warrior like his brother was. But he didn't. He looked at the heart of David. He knew the heart of David. He knew that David was a man who ultimately wanted to do his will. Although David was young and inexperienced and the birth order wasn't right, God looked at the heart above all else. And, and we, could, you know, we could spend a whole you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, really looking at this. But this really just sets up what I want to talk, look at this morning. And it's really the heart of David, especially when he was a shepherd boy, when he was a young boy, and just a few years after that, and see what we can learn from that. So in verse 11, it says, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. 
So David was the youngest of seven brothers, and his job um, was to tend the sheep. He was a shepherd, so he would have looked after the sheep. He would have protected them. He would have fed them. Had maybe one gone off, he would have gone out after them and brought them back in. Um, and this would have been a full-time job. This would have, he would have spent a lot of time doing this. This would have really consumed his days. And this is where, if we, if we read the story of David, and especially here, this is where David really got to know his God. This is where he really got to know his maker, this is where he grew in relationship with him. This is where he would have poured his heart out before him. And this is really the early signs we see of David. He spent time in nature with him in the quiet, really, just the quiet creation, tending the sheep and just being with his God. And this is reflected in the psalm. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 29, verse 3 to 4. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And again, in Psalms 23, 33, 104, there's many Psalms you could go on and on. But this is really reflecting, it's showing where David got to know the heart of God and who God was. Not only did he get to know him, but he also uh, he got to understand that he could put his confidence in his God. In 1 Samuel, another sort of passage of scripture, just a little bit further on, um, he's speaking about how David is coming up against Goliath. And it said, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it of his, out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So not only did he, did he, did he get to know God and sort of really sort of lean into his confidence, he acted upon the confidence that he found in God. See, in that situation, everyone would have completely doubted David, I think if we'd have seen this little guy coming against this massive giant, we would have doubted him. But David didn't doubt at all. His confidence came from God and he leant into that confidence. The difference between, I say, saying that you're confident in God, but acted upon it. And that's what David did. He acted on his confidence in God's power. And that really learnt. He really learnt that when he was a shepherd boy, when he was with the sheep. And I want to suggest to you this morning that had David not had those years as a shepherd boy, had he not had those time in the court, had he not had those time knowing his God um, and worshipping him, I don't think he would have been the great warrior, the great leader that we read about throughout scripture and that many of us, uh, when we see David, we, we love him. You see, it was during those quiet years as he was a young shepherd boy that David developed a sense of God's greatness that never left him. In Psalm 71, Verse 5, it says, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. So it never left him. He gained it in the quiet, in the still place in creation, and it never left him. I remember just a few, quite early on in my, in my walk with God, I remember um, we was at a prayer meeting, the Pursuing God, back in St. Martin's in the fields in the community centre, and Becky had a, word, sort of had a word for me, I don't know if she'll remember this. Um, I think she came up to me, she said, I just sense that, you know, as, as you grow with God, you're really going to encounter God and you're going to meet him in the quiet and you're going to hear from him in the quiet, just reading your word and praying. And it's not necessarily going to be in big meetings or conferences. And if I just look back over the last few years, I can really say that, that just the daily getting up and reading the Bible 
and praying and just meditating on scripture and just the daily walking with him. I think that's probably where I've grown the most. I mean, it's not that I don't meet with him at church or at conferences. I think for me, one of the best places he's been is with the saints and worshipping and being with the people of God. I think I love that. Um, but I think for me, I love being just by, him, by myself with him, reading his word and growing and getting to know his heart. And I think as a church, we really need to cultivate a lifestyle of walking with him daily, of, of, of yes, getting up and reading and praying or whatever that may be for you. But not only that, just even throughout the day of just being in prayer throughout the day of just leaning on him and not trying to do things in your own strength. I think that's something I often tend to do. It's funny, Owen brought that word about weakness because I think that's something that God's been speaking to me about this week as well. And I think we need to do that. We need to cultivate a lifestyle of, of walking with him, of leaning on him, of trusting his promises, of even just worshiping him through the day and thanking him and acknowledging who he is even throughout the day. And if we look at David, David grew in the quiet places. He when no one was looking, his confidence was in God and, and he acted in that confidence. And he only acted because he knew who his God was. Yeah, if he didn't know who his God was, how could he act in confidence? But he did, he leant into that and he could step out in faith. And I believe this all happened and was cultivated in the early years during the quiet. So just a question for us this morning is, would you say your confidence is in God? Would you say that you could step out in faith in certain things where you can't necessarily see the future, but you can step out in faith like David? Did you see? Because you're only going to step out in faith and put your confidence in, in someone if you know them. Yeah, imagine if, if I took Caitlin and went out to Brixton to the streets and just went up to someone and said, do you mind just looking after them for maybe just for 20 minutes or just a couple of hours? It would be foolish if I'd done that, wouldn't it? And even if I sat down with them and you know, went for a few safeguarding questions with them and just, you know, just asked a few questions about them. And then, you know, after about 20 minutes, I said, okay, can you just look after Caitlin for 20 minutes or even an hour? That would be foolish to do that. I mean, that is a, I appreciate that's a silly example, but what I'm trying to say is we're only going to trust God, we're only going to put our confidence in him if we're current with him and if we know him. Even if I, you know, I probably wouldn't ring up a friend who I haven't seen for five or six years and just dump Caitlin around there and say, can you look after her for the night? Because our relationship isn't current and I don't know them as well as I did before. And it's the same with God. We need, to, we need to put our confidence in him and we need to know him to put our confidence in him. So if we're walking with him, if we're in fellowship with him, if we're spending time with him, we're more likely to do that. So David got to know God as a shepherd boy. By himself, he learned to trust him and to put his confidence in him. And we get to know and grow him whilst we're with him. Now, we, we can definitely learn in different circumstances and situations, but it's when we're with him, it's when we're meditating on his word, when we're just spending time with him, is where we get to know his heart. Yeah, when we're reading his word and he speaks to us through his word, it's when we get to know who he is and his heart. So let's look at the, David the shepherd boy when he got anointed king. In verse 12, he, he says, And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now if you, if you ever read in the commentaries, uh, they really vary to say how old David was at this, at this point. He says he was obviously the youngest, but they really vary. Some say he was in his sort of teens, late teens. Some say sort of 20, 21, and some say sort of 25. But uh, we actually don't know his actual, actual age, but we know he was the youngest of seven brothers. We know that... Um, actually, it wasn't until he was 30 that he became king of Judah, and then 70 years later that he became king of Israel. So 
there's really quite a significant amount of time for him being anointed king um, and that coming uh, to pass and him actually stepping into that role of king of Israel. So there's quite a significant amount of time, quite a number of years. Potentially, you know, the bottom end of 20 years or maybe 15 or so, but quite a number of years. So what happened during that time? We read that initially actually he went back to tending the sheep. So he's just been anointed king. Then he goes back to tending uh, the sheep. Um, a little bit further on in that verse, it says that um, the, the, the spirit departed from Saul and God sent an evil spirit to torment him. And Saul wanted someone to come and play the harp for him, someone just to, just to soothe him and that, that he was sort of ease and relax into that. And he, he sent for David um, and David comes to him. Um, but just before he comes to him, he says that David was with the sheep. He says that David was with the sheep. And I don't know about you, but I wonder what David would have been thinking at that time. If you think this is just this small guy and he'd been anointed king and then he gets sent by the king to come to him. But as soon as he got anointed king, he said he went back to the sheep. And I just wonder, I wonder what would be going through his mind. If you've just been anointed king, no, that's not going to happen to any of us. But if you've been anointed king and then you almost go back to your J job, you just, I wonder what David would be thinking, what his emotions would be. Would he be questioning God? Would he be talking to God about it? Now, we don't know because nothing is said there, but I know if it was me, I'd want details. I'd probably want a date. Probably want some sort of contract or something, you know what I mean? Something like that, uh, just to get it in writing that this is going to happen, yeah? But I definitely would want no details. And just by our nature, I'm sure you'd all be the same. And I just... So questions, you guys. I wonder if you've ever, when you've ever met with God, maybe you've been at home or maybe you've been at church or maybe you've been in a, a big conference and you've, you've met with God so powerfully, you've felt the presence of his spirit upon you. You've, you've clearly heard his voice speaking to you. Uh, you've clearly heard him speak something over your life or maybe someone's come up and given you a prophetic word in your life and you, you, clearly, you know it's him. You're not, you're not just imagining yourself. You really know that God has spoken to you. And then maybe um, after the conference or after church, you know, it's Monday morning, you go back to work and I mean, you're buzzing, you're pumped up because, you know, God's met with you and you're going to take Jesus to the world. And... But then maybe a, a day or two go past, and then maybe a few weeks go past, um, and maybe a month or so go past, and maybe just that you start to question, you know, is, is, did, I, did I meet with God? I, I swear he said I was going to do this. Because obviously you think it's tomorrow. But he, he clearly, he's clearly spoke to me, and maybe you start to question him. But then you think, okay, but maybe a few more months go on. Yeah, but maybe then a few years start to roll by. And this promise still hasn't happened. And, and you're thinking, but he spoke to me. I know he spoke to me because I know his voice. And I know he spoke to me through that scripture or through that person. It was clear. And maybe even this morning, maybe you're, you're still waiting on a promise from God. Maybe it's been years. Because that's what happened to David. David was anointed king and it was years before he became king. And during that time, just to look a bit more actually what happened apart from you know, when, call, when Saul called him, he called him to his service uh, to be his armour bearer and David really found favour um, in the eyes of Saul. Um, but quite quickly, Saul became jealous of him. You know, if you sort of read in that story, <coughs> we read about how... Um, the ladies of Israel were singing, you know, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. And I think that would probably get my back up as well. And Because it, it definitely got Saul's back up. So much so, they wanted to cut his head off. Yeah, he wanted to kill him. And if, we read, if you read the rest of 1 Samuel, it really just depicts the story of, sort of David on the run from Saul. 
and it makes for quite an interesting read. Again, I, again, I just, I just question as I was just looking into this. Like, what, what would be David's emotions during this time? Again, he's been anointed king, and now he's running from the, the current king. You know, it just doesn't sort of make sense. And I wonder what he'd be thinking. Would he be questioning God? Would he be doubting God? So I believe what we see next is uh, one of the reasons David was a man after his heart. I think what we see next is one of the reasons why David was called a man after his own heart. Because it shows us how he handled delay. It shows us how David handled delay, having been promised something great and it not happening. In 1 Samuel, uh, the last little big chunk of scripture I'll read, in 1 Samuel 24, from verse, uh, sorry, verse 1 to 6, it says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in the front of, of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And then in 1 Samuel 26, there's, an, there's another story how David has another opportunity to kill Saul. So there's twice we see David has these opportunities to kill Saul, but twice he refused. Well, why is that? Well, firstly, that David had respect for God's appointment of Saul. Saul was the king. Now, the spirit had departed from him, but Saul was, Saul was still on the throne, and David respected God. But the main thing, the main thing I just want to draw out this morning is that David had patience to wait for God's timing. David was patient to wait for God's timing. See, it would have been so easy for Saul um, to, to kill Saul. It would have been really easy. You know, he could have just cut him. He could have just put a dagger in him. No one would have known. But David, he wanted to trust God's sovereign plan and his, his purposes and his timing that God had. He didn't want to force or manipulate the situation. He wanted to be in the will of God. And not that passage that we read right at the very beginning in Acts 13, verse 22. This is the main part that I wanted to come out. It says in verse 22, I have found in David a man after my heart who will do my will. Who will do my will. See, David wanted to be in the will of God because he knew it was the best place for him to be. He knew that being in the purposes of God, in the will of God, that was the best place for him to be. Even though he didn't understand it all, even though he didn't grasp it and he couldn't see what was happening next, he knew that to be in the will of God was the best place for him to be. So this morning, how do we, how do you, how are you handling delay? Maybe has God, has God spoken to you? Has God promised you something? Have you got maybe words over your life that haven't come to pass yet? How do you handle that or how are you handling it? It could be many situations. It could be in relationships. It could be in a job. It could be some sort of promotion that you, you really want to get. You really feel God's giving you favour there. It could be in ministry. But it's not happened yet. How do you respond to that? What is your response 
It's like we said, it could have been really easy for David to kill Saul. He could have really manipulated the situation and forced it, and he would have been king there and then. No one would have said anything, because he would have killed them as well, because he would have been the king. But you see, it can be really easy for us, for example, say it at work, to just to promote ourselves a little bit, or maybe to steer conversations just, just a certain way so that we all look quite good and the other person won't look so good. Or maybe just to orchestrate things a little bit, or maybe just to force a situation. I think personally for me, just a couple of months ago, something was coming up, and I just sort of felt myself after a few weeks just trying to force something that clearly wasn't opening up. But I was just trying to just force it just a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't happening. And maybe you know that, and maybe you know that you know, you're maybe steering the ship of your life, as it were, and you're completely in control. Um, but you know that you're trying to manipulate your situation and you're not in the will of God. It's almost like you're, you're trying to give God a helping hand to, to get there. There's this, um, in the book um, called The Power of Humility by R.T. Kendall, Phil mentioned it a couple of months ago and I just would strongly recommend you to read it because we're all proud and we all need to read these type of things and it will humble you. Um, and he speaks about this story where um, Joseph um, is in prison um, and he's, uh, he interprets a dream for um, the chief cupbearer. And he says, he, says, um, he says to the cupbearer, when you get out, remember me and mention me to Pharaoh. Remember me and mention me to Pharaoh. Now he gets out and he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't mention him to Pharaoh at all. But what Artie Kendall is, is saying, he's almost saying that Joseph was trying to give God just a helping hand. He didn't believe that God uh, was in control and that he didn't believe that God would get him out of prison. And that Joseph was trying to just, just, just nudge God, just, just give him a helping hand. See, Joseph had promises over, over his life, big, big promises. Um, but he spent the next two years in prison. He spent the next two years in prison. And why did he do that? I believe God hadn't finished with him yet. God still had to do a deeper work in his heart, deeper work in his, in his character. God hadn't finished moulding him or shaping him yet to be all he called him to be. See, God calls us to obedience. He calls us to faithfully walk with him, even if we can't see ahead. And that can be really difficult, really challenging at times, but that's what he calls us to, obedience, to, to put our trust in him, even if we don't see what's ahead. Because it can be easy to manipulate situations, and often the only person who's going to know is going to be you. And you can try and force something. And you will, you'll be the only one who knows that. You'll be the only one who really knows that, or you and God. See, David trusted God to raise him up at the right time. He knew for David at that time the best place for him to be was to be in the will of God. The best place was to be in the will of God. And it's funny, because often delay is where God is doing all his work in us. Often that's where he's preparing us, where he's moulding us, where he's shaping us. And in that, and then when... You know, when something, when something happens, when it opens up, we can step into it and we're ready because he's done that work in us. And I'm sure many of us have either experienced that or are experiencing it in different circumstances. But when he does that work, when he's finished, we're ready to step into what he's called us to. This is a great quote by Martin Lloyd Jones that I never forget, and I read it a few years ago, and it just stuck me all the time, and it really spoke to me. He says, The worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. The worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he's ready. And I can think of so many times where I've been in a situation and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm ready for it now. Now's the time. Dan's going to step up. 
But then I look back and I think, man, had that happened, you know, I mean, I would have just mugged myself off and I would look like such an idiot and I was not ready for that to happen. But we think that, don't we? We think we're ready, but we're not because we can't, we can't see ahead. David knew that it wasn't his time for him to become king. And why did he know that? He knew that because God hadn't put him there yet. God hadn't put him there yet. Did David handle delay by completely trusting and putting his confidence in God? And that's partly why David was a man after God's own heart, because he desired to do the will of God and to follow him obediently. But if we know the story of David, we know that he didn't quite do that, did he? We know that actually he made, he made many mistakes, and he didn't always do, the, you know, do God's will, but we know that he desired it, which is what we do. We desire to do God's will, but yet we can't quite do that, can we? And that's why David is always pointing us to someone else. It's not, yes, this is a story about David, of course it is, but he's pointing us to a greater David. He's pointing us to a greater king. David is always a figure. He's always going to be a foreshadow for the one to come. David was a shepherd boy, but he points us to the good shepherd. In John's Gospel, in verse 10, he says, chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. You see, when David was with his sheep, he protected them, didn't he? When he was with them, you know, he protected them, he brought them in the pen. But the thing is, he wasn't always with the sheep. But the thing about this good shepherd, he's eternally with us, and he eternally protects us. And not only that, he laid his life down for us. David, when David was anointed king, he didn't look like a king. Hence, that's why Samuel judged him, because he didn't believe that he was going to be the king. But neither did the one he was pointing to. In Isaiah 53, it says, He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Again, David desired to do God's will, but he just fell short. But as we know, there was one who completely carried out the will of God and didn't fall short at all, but he went right to the very end, right to the very last breath. In John 17, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. See, Christ is the, is the greater David. He's the true king, the one that David points to all along. Christ is the one who leads us, who protects us, and he's the one who ultimately as we know, as we sung about this morning, died on the cross to take our filthy sin so that we can have life and have it abundantly. And not only that, if we look at Christ, we look at actually, he handled delay. He knew that he was sent from heaven by the Father to earth on a mission. It wasn't a short mission, it was 33 years. And during those years, he didn't put one foot wrong. He lived in complete obedience to the Father complete obedience to the Father, all the way through, right to the very last breath. You see, the thing with David, we can, although he had many faults, we can really relate to him, can't we? That's why so many of us are like, we love David, we love David, because we can relate to him. He was a man's man. We don't relate to Jesus, though. We worship him. Yeah, we worship Jesus. We adore him, we, we give him our lives. We don't relate to Jesus, we worship him. 
So what can we learn from David? Just a few things, just practically, that can really help us. David grew in his relationship with God in the choir. And I think we're to do the same. We're to spend time, we're to, to allocate time, put time aside to spend time with him and to, to love him, to worship him, to pray to him, to read his word. We're to walk with him, we're to get to know him. And as we do those things, our desire to do his will will be even more greater than it was before. As we get to know his heart, we will want to please him or we want to give him everything. And it's not out of place of, of oh, I must, I must do this, I must do that. That's not what this is about. It's about because what he's done, we just want to worship him, we want to love him, and we want to give him everything. David believed the promises of God. So we're to cling to his promises. It's like what Owen said, that, that passage where it says, even though we're faithless, he remains faithful. Even if you doubt God's promises, he will remain faithful. And you can put your confidence in him. Because if he's starting something, he will bring it to completion. And lastly, we're to walk in obedience with him. Not trying to force or manipulate something, even if we can't see ahead. We're to trust him, to be obedient to him, and believe that he is all he says he is. So David was a man after God's heart. So let's be like David. Let's be a man who pursues, let's be people who pursue the heart of God. Let's be people who desire to do his will. Let's be people who want to please him, who want to give everything to him. Let's pursue his heart. Okay, I'm just going to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness towards us. We thank you that you've got nothing but grace and mercy to lavish upon us this morning and tomorrow and the day after. Father, we thank you that you're for us. Father, we thank you as we, as we look at David, we can see a man who wanted to please you, who wanted to do your will. But as we lift our gaze to Christ, we see a man who completely carried out the will of God. And he's the one we come to this morning. Oh God, you're the one we come to. You're the one who we worship. We come to a living God this morning. Father, I pray as we go from here, God, you would help us to walk faithfully with you, to walk in obedience with you, to pursue your heart. That we would be people who spend time with you and pour our hearts before you. That we would go into our closet and close the door and pray to our Father who is in heaven. And knowing as we do that, that, that he hears us. God, you hear, you hear the cries of our hearts. So, Father, I pray as we go from here, oh God, I pray, be with us. Help us to remember, God, that you are for us, that your heart is for us, that you have plans and purposes. And even if those things have not happened to us, we can completely trust you. We can completely uh, rely on you, God. You are a rock, you are a firm foundation, you are a refuge, the one who we run to in times of trouble. Father, this morning we just say we love you and we worship you. And I pray, Father, help us to keep our gaze upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>